Lord God, we thank you so much for the hope we have in you. And with Ken's passing, Lord, we know there is hope because he is with you right now. We pray for Kathy and the family. Pray for your comfort and strength upon them, that you give them peace. And just with the knowledge of the truth we have in our hands of the Bible tells us, Lord, that we will be with you, believers, as we pass from this earth to eternity. So we thank you for that, God. And so, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we pray, God, for your touch upon the message, Lord, upon your word that we would have renewed hope in you and what the resurrection means. So, God, here we are, expecting, Lord, in all expectation to hear from you, God. So, Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, anoint Jesus. We love you and we want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. This Peanuts cartoon had Lucy and Linus sitting in front of the TV watching this show. Lucy, the big sister, says to Linus, go get me a glass of water. Linus looks surprised and replies, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. Well, Lucy then promises, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. <laughs> With that, Linus gets up and heads toward the kitchen saying, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. <laughs> I love that. It's true, though, yeah? I mean, yes, life is better when there's hope for the future. It helps us. It helps us today. It helps us in things that we go through. Thomas Fuller said, hope is the only tie which keeps the heart from breaking. I like that. We all need hope in our lives. We all need that hope to keep going. Well, today in our passage, as we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul now logically argues if there was no resurrection of Jesus, then there would be no hope for us. But, Paul says, Jesus did rise again from the dead. And so there is so much hope for us believers. So I titled our message this morning, The Hope in the Resurrection. The Hope in the Resurrection. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 12 through verse 34 today. We finished up last week, verse 1 to 11. Now we're going to continue on from verse 12 through verse 34. And this is our outline. Number one, what doesn't make sense. Number two, what does make sense. And number three, why dedication makes sense. So let's begin here. The hope in the resurrection. Number one in our outline, what doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense. Take a look with me here now, 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? We'll pause right there. We begin with this word now. Paul, he goes on to tackle this issue going on in the, the church of Corinthians here, the Corinthian church. He, he goes on to, 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 to with this concern of him, that there are people out there that aren't really believing in the resurrection here, and specifically of believers. He writes here, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, if, if we preach, you know, if the apostles preach that Jesus had been raised from the dead, that Jesus is alive, then he says, why is it that some of you guys are saying there is no resurrection of the dead? That is, when you die as believers, that you don't get raised up. So Paul is approaching now this whole issue of the resurrection in this way. Now last time, you, you remember, we saw in the beginning part of this chapter, Paul was bringing the Corinthians back to center, right? Back to the foundation of what the gospel is. And, and it was because they were so carnal, worldly, prideful. They, they had wandered off the spiritually. They weren't very strong, as we've been finding out in this whole book. So they were giving into their flesh and sin and all that. So Paul's like bringing them back to center, bringing them back to basics. And he laid out the gospel, if you remember back in verse 3 and 4, that Christ died, was buried, and he rose again the third day. 
So Paul went on, we saw last time, to emphasize the resurrection, how it's true. Remember the title last week was the truth about the resurrection. This week's the hope. So he talked about the truth of the resurrection. He's emphasizing the, the incredible truth of that and the power to live our lives. It wasn't just that Jesus died, but he rose again and how that affects us. And remember he proved it by the apostles seeing Jesus, Paul himself, the 500 people. And so he was saying the gospel is true. And the gospel, which includes not just his death, but the resurrection about Jesus, that's the truth about the resurrection. Now, there were some in the church who believed, yeah, Jesus rose again from the dead. But they believed that, well, but we don't. When we die as believers, we don't. And that came from this, this Greek thinking, you know, back then. The Greeks believed that oh, all physical stuff is bad and stuff. And then when you die, you just kind of turn into this spirit. Your soul goes on. But Paul's saying, How, wait, wait, you, you know, that's, that's not what, what's going on here. You can't mix those thoughts. You can't mix this and, and then think, well, yeah, Jesus rose again, but we don't, we don't rise again from the dead. Paul's saying, no, we're, we're not like we don't float around a place after we die or something, our soul, yeah. So Paul's saying, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, why don't you believe that you will rise from the dead also? We know that Jesus himself said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So it's not just what we're going on in our spirit or soul, but we'll actually have this new body, a glorified body, that we will literally be resurrected physically. And that's the whole idea going on here. Well, Paul now in... in addressing this issue, issue, approaching this now. He's going to go on now in the rest of uh, this section saying, what if there is no bodily resurrection after we die? What if then? What if that is true? What if what you're saying is actually true? Well, he gives this scenario. Look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. So if a believer, when he dies, if he doesn't rise again from the dead, then you know what that means? That, that Then Christ never rose again from the dead. And if Christ is not resurrected, resurrected, then what the apostles are preaching is empty. The word means like not, nothing, yeah? It's like useless. And then that means your faith is useless. So Paul's like, if Jesus is not risen, then you know what it equals to? That you, all this we're talking about and not what we put our faith in, in that truth, then it's nothing. It's useless. You know, I remember when uh, my daughter, Jenea, was like nine years old, and um, someone had given us a little packet of, of seeds, and it was for some flowers. So I thought, oh, let's, let's, let's uh, plant some flowers. So Went to Walmart, got a little pot and some potting soil and, and put the soil in the pot and put the seeds in there and covered it up. And, and, we, and, and Janelle, you know, we did together and we watered it every day and Janelle was watering every day. And you know what? Nothing happened. There was no plant came up. Not, nothing came up. All that effort, all that time, all that money, right, amounted to Nothing. Now, the only thing I could guess was maybe the seeds were no good for some reason. Yeah. And, and, and for some reason. Well, this is what Paul is saying. If Jesus, it, or if a believer doesn't rise from the dead when they die, that means Jesus is not risen. And if that's true, if that's so, then the gospel is nothing. The gospel is useless. Well, he goes on in verse 15. He says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For, verse 16, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. So Paul goes on in, in, in his logic here. He goes on in some other steps and, and he says, well, then, you know what? This means that uh, the apostles are basically false witnesses. The ESV puts it, found to be misrepresenting God. 
Because why? They testify yeah, that God raised up Jesus. But if believers don't raise, that means Jesus isn't risen. And then that means that God didn't really tell the apostles that if the dead did not rise. And if the dead did not rise, then Christ did not rise from the dead. So if Jesus is not risen, then he's saying the gospel is not true what the apostles preached. See, Spurgeon said, if Jesus rose, then this gospel is what it, it professes to be. If he rose not from the dead, then it is all deceit and delusion. Verse 17, then Paul adds, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Futile means like in the Greek here, like it accomplishes nothing. It's worthless. So, you know, if Christ is not risen, then your faith, what you put your faith in, it accomplishes nothing. It's worthless. And you know what? It means that you're still lost in your sins. You're still unforgiven. You're still in bondage to the flesh and sin. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, you know what it means? It means that his death was not enough to pay for our sins. It means he did not conquer sin. He didn't conquer the consequences of sin, which is death. It means that he is not the Savior and that Jesus cannot save us from sin. Oh, Paul's just bringing our minds into these logical conclusions then if Jesus didn't rise again, right? Well, look at 18 now. Verse 18, Paul then says, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, well, fallen asleep means die, right? We saw that last time. And perish means they're, they're gone. They've perished. There's, there's, they've died in their sins. So there's no hope for eternal life in heaven. That's what Paul is saying if Christ didn't rise again. So, look in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. pitiable. In other words, if our hope in Jesus is only contained now to this life here on earth, we're the saddest people in the whole world because we're believing this, that this is it. Paul is saying to think like this doesn't make any sense. Paul saying it, it just brings us to this place of no hope. You know, this whole passage from verse 12 to 19, Paul just lays out this, this, this sense, like if this, in a logical way, then it means this. And to me, it, it, one thing leads to another to another. It's, it's like, like you ever pull a loose thread and then the whole thing, garment falls apart, right? That's what Paul is saying. You pull this thread of Christ being risen again, then the whole thing just falls apart. The whole gospel falls apart. If there's no bodily resurrection for believers, then Jesus is still dead. And if Jesus is still dead, then putting faith in a gospel preached is useless. If the gospel is useless, then the apostles preach a gospel that is untrue. And if the gospel is untrue, then faith does nothing and we're still lost in our sins. And if we're still lost in our sin, then when we die, we perish, we'll not, we will not go to heaven. And if I'm not going to heaven, then there's no other hope but what we have here on this earth. And that would be so, so sad. That's what Paul is saying. So all in all here, Paul's point is this. What doesn't make sense, what doesn't make sense is thinking believers won't be bodily resurrected from the dead just like Jesus did. What doesn't make sense is thinking believers won't be bodily resurrected from the dead just like Jesus did. That's his point here. John MacArthur said the foundation of apostolic teaching was that Christ rose from the dead and, and that all who believed in him would also be raised. How about you this morning? Do you truly believe that when you die as a believer, you will be resurrected, that you will get receive a new glorified body? Do you believe that? Yes? Yes. Amen. That's what Paul is saying. That's our hope. Without that, we have no hope. 
Where are you today? Sometimes, like these guys, uh, the, the Greek thinking kind of mixed into some of these people, and they mixed in Christianity or the doctrines of the gospel or the truth of the gospel, and they kind of put it together and came up with their own kind of thinking that, oh, yeah, we know Jesus raised Lord from the dead, but, you know, we're not going to, we're going to float around. Think about that today. Isn't that some of the thinking today? Yeah. Some of the thinking, oh, when, you, when we die, oh, we're going we're gonna to be spirits. Yeah. And, and, and I remember as a kid, you know, I'd be into like ghost stories and stuff. I'd go, ooh, and, and it seems like the, the haunted houses and stuff, there's only, always some violent way this person died, so they're hanging around, yeah? They, they don't have peace yet. They're not, they're not, they don't have closure yet, and so this spirit is dying, is, is uh, floating around the place. Years ago, I remember a friend who was working security at the old hotel. I, I believe it was the old Andas place. And uh, in Wailea, and I remember he had an overnight shift, which no one wanted. Well, no one wanted the graveyard shift. And, and, and it was because of the Obake woman, right? Yeah. And, and I don't know if you heard those stories. I remember he was sharing with me. Well, my friend, being a Christian, he didn't care. He goes, no, I'll take that shift. Everyone else was all scared and everything. But he, he said, no, I'll take it. Well, you know what he told me? One night, he saw this Obake woman. He said he, saw, he was trying to rest. Pastor Rick, I saw her. I go, what? Really? Yeah, I saw her. You know what he told me? He saw, he saw this woman in, in this flowing white robe. And, he, and the woman came up to her. The feet were off the ground. It wasn't like walking. It just floated up to her. He said, the feet don't touch the ground, Pastor Rick. And he came, she came up right up to him. And he came, she came up to him like this far away from his face. And, and I was like, so what'd you do? He, he goes, well, I just told her, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. <laughs> and, then, and then the thing went away. Crazy, you know. Now, I believe there's no such things as ghosts and when people die and, you know, they're going to hang around like that and float around. I believe that it's actually demons to fool people into thinking that, that that's a person that died and then giving them that false thinking, you know, about, oh, yeah, we, we turn into spirits or ghosts and we do all that, you know, kind of thing. Why? Because it leads you away from the gospel. It leads your thought away from the truth, yeah? It leads you away from hope, right? We know. Does, does that, is this what happens when we die? We just become these spirits floating around, right? Or, or, or some people think, you know, oh, yeah, when you, I, I, you know, I, I don't know about heaven, because we're just going to be, you know, like these spirits on laying around on clouds and playing some harp. I don't even know how to play, right? There's those thoughts and these thinking and things there. And sometimes even as Christians, we mix that into that. We know Hebrews 9.25 says, It is appointed for men to die once, but after that, this, the judgment, right? We know that. It doesn't say in the Bible, Oh, after you die, you're going to be floating around a little while, right? I mean, that would be cool. I mean, it would be fun to float, yeah, and all that. Is that our destiny? No, right? Is that our destiny to end up as a ghost and float around and haunt places and scare people and have fun on Halloween? No, no. No wonder. It, it's, it's this unknown. No wonder that many times we fear death. We don't, we're, we're like, oh, I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's so... You know, our mind goes to this darkness that we don't know what's there. And then we have no hope. Paul's like, hey, you guys, it doesn't make sense if you think that way. It doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense is thinking believers won't be bodily resurrected from the dead just like Jesus did. If we are like that, if we think like that, like these, some of these guys in Corinthians did, and we and have no hope, how does that help us today? It doesn't, right? Like Paul said, we're, we're the saddest people in the whole world if this is it, if our faith doesn't do anything different. In Maine, it, this uh, dam was built to, uh, across a river for a hydroelectric plant. The small town would be flooded, so uh, that, and when they were planning, they, they were going to build this, uh, dam so 
the small town would be flooded, so the people were given months to arrange, you know, make their arrangements, arrange their affairs, and relocate. Well, interesting. During those months, no repairs were done to roads, to buildings, or nothing, or sidewalks, no painting, no new works were, were done. So the town or, was just began to deteriorate, and it al already looked uncared and abandoned before anyone even moved. Well, one guy explained to a reporter this way, where there is no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. Exactly, guys. Exactly what Paul is saying. It, it doesn't make sense to live our life in that way because if we don't believe we're going to be resurrected, then there's no hope, there's no strength for us to even live today. All right, well, let's go on to number two now in our outline. What does make sense? What does make sense? We've seen what doesn't make sense in the hope in the resurrection uh, here. What doesn't make sense? And now number two, what does make sense? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, don't you love that? After all this, after all the ifs and thens here, Paul says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Amen to that. And so Paul's saying, this is what makes sense now. Christ is risen. This is the truth. This is what really happened. It really pulls into what we saw last week. And then he says here, and has become the first fruits to those who died. Now, when Paul uses that term first fruits, he's talking about the first of the crop that have been harvested. Those of you who have been with us on Wednesday night, we've been studying through the Old Testament, and we found how that in the Old Testament, Israel would bring the first crop of the harvest, right, to the temple as an offering to God, to, as a thanksgiving to the Lord, to basically say, thank you for the first of more to come after this. That was the idea. So when Paul says that Christ is the first fruits, the idea is Paul saying Christ is the first of more resurrections to come. So that's the idea here. So then Paul goes on saying, like, look at it this way now. Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, verse 22, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. See, so Paul said, take a look at it this way. See, by man or one man came death, right? Through Adam, the consequence of sin came death. Well, in the same way, by one man, Jesus will come the resurrection came the resurrection life after death the bodily resurrection for believers for in adam all die right through adam through his sin what what have we inherited that flesh right and and because of that sin we as human beings inherit that flesh and and so we inherited the flesh and the consequences and that's death well in the same way he says in christ even so in christ all, or believers, shall be made alive. We shall be resurrected in a bodily resurrection. So just like in Adam, we're condemned in the flesh. Now in Jesus, believers are resurrected in body. One commentator said this, If the death which Adam brought is physical death, then the life which Christ brings also includes physical life. I like that. I love that thinking. So through Adam, because our sin brings physical death, death. But you know what? Through Christ and his resurrection, we get physical life, a new body. Verse 23, but each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. So what Paul is saying here is there's an order to all of this. He, he already kind of let it out that Christ is our first fruit. So Christ is the the, the first one, yeah. He's, he's the first one resurrected, and then we're going to follow after this. So Christ is first, and believers receive their glorified bodies. We will be resurrected in a sense. Well, when is that? Verse 23, at his coming. So believers will receive the bodily resurrection, this new body, glorified body, when Jesus comes for the church in the rapture. 
That's the idea there. Now, he's going to unfold this a little bit more. But that's the idea now. We know that when we die, we're going to be with the Lord. Our hearts go out to Kathy and the family and with the passing of Ken last Friday. And, and, but we know, as I said, Ken is with Jesus right now. Right? 2 Corinthians 5 eight. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then when Jesus comes in the rapture, Ken will receive his glorified body and then us. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, Paul wrote there, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We're going to get their resurrected bodies. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Then we receive our resurrected bodies. So, Paul's laying out this order, this way, this, this plan of our future coming up. Verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So then, he's saying, after the church is taken home, then comes the end. And what's the end? That last seven years, the tribulation years, which after that, then Jesus comes, uh, returns, his second coming, defeats the nation to put an end to all this rule on the earth of authority and power. And then, it says in verse 25, he must reign. Jesus will reign, having defeated the enemies, putting them under his feet. And that, we know, his reign on earth is going to be the thousand years, the millennium rule of Jesus. So the resurrected Jesus will come and physically rule on earth. And we know us believers are going to be there too with our resurrected bodies. Revelation 26, the last part says, They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And then look at verse 26. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So Paul now brings in this, the, the thought, and we, as in our studies, we've seen that after, Satan, after the millennium, the thousand years, Satan will be loose for, for a little while, tempt the people in the world. They're going to come together to fight the Lord, but Jesus will defeat them again. And then he's going to cast Satan along with death into the lake of fire. Revelation 20. Verse 27, For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. In other words, Jesus, Jesus ruling over all is expected. For God the Father will put Christ in authority, right? Philippians 2, Yet every knee shall bow, right? Before the Lord and, 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 and exalt his name. Verse 28, now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So Paul's saying, and when Jesus reigns over all things, then he'll, he's going to submit everything to the Father who put all these things under him. So this is the coming future. The resurrected Jesus reigning in power and victory over this wicked world. So this is what makes sense, Paul is saying. This is what, what comes together here. You know, I, I was just thinking about as Paul sort of laid out this sort of summary of what the future is going to bring with Jesus, the resurrected Lord reigning, and then, you know, we're, we're going to be part of all that if you connect all the other scriptures. Oh, I, I was thinking about the things that are happening today, right now. And, you know, time to time I share with you guys just the prophecies that are coming to pass and Ezekiel 38. And we understand that I mentioned that many times how Russia... Uh, it's prophesied, Magog and the Arab states are going to come together, attack Israel, how the stage is set like never before. Russia's feet is in the Middle East here. Troops now, he's made, they've made alliances and come together with many of the uh, 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 Arab states, you know, like Turkey or, or Syria here now and, and there. And it's like never before in history. Well, the other day, 
was reading an article and it put my attention upon Ezekiel 38.7. Now listen to what verse 7 says here in Ezekiel 38. It says, prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. Now in this verse, it's speaking to Magog. It's speaking to Russia. So, so prepare yourself, be ready, you know, be ready, Russia. And all your companies that are gathered with you, basically. And the last part of verse 7 says, and be a guard for them. And it, it just kind of hit me here. Isn't, isn't that what Russia is doing right now? Isn't that what Russia is doing for Syria? Yeah? Remember when the whole chemical attack came and then U.S. and France and Britain together came and bombed the chemical weapon sites and storage and, and research facilities and all. Who spoke up for them? Russia. Yeah, Russia. And even now, I don't know if you've been following this, there's a lot of talk going on between Iran and Israel, right? Iran's already set up bases. Israel bombed this air base there. You know, Iran has a weapons factory. Israel goes and shoots some missiles there. Iran doesn't like it. They're, they're like two prize fighters. If you watch, if almost every day, if you read the news, almost every day, they're like two prize fighters, like facing off and putting each other down. And we're going to get you. We're going to get you. Even, even just uh, 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 last week, you know, Iran, Iran's like, we have a, we're going to destroy him. We have a date, a time and a date set for him. It's like, whoa. I mean, they're just going back and forth. And then... Israel tells Russia. Matter of fact, I was just reading this morning, last night, that it, um, uh, Netanyahu is going to have a, a meeting with Putin, like either I think it's today, you know, talk to him. But Israel, the, the defense minister put out a statement last week, like basically told Russia, stand down. Stand down with Israel's attacks on Iran. Stand down, you know. In other words, stay out of the fight. In other words, Russia, don't guard them. Don't protect them. And I was thinking about, oh, Ezekiel 38, 7, wow, and be a guard for them? Look, all this means is Jesus is coming. <laughs> Jesus is coming. And the fu our future life is so near, you guys. It's so near. So here's Paul and all of this and, and bringing all, the, all our thoughts to this place is that what makes sense is Jesus is alive. So believers live with the hope of the resurrected life coming in the future. You understand that? This is what Paul is saying. What makes sense is Jesus is alive. So believers live with the hope of the resurrected life coming, and I would say in the near future for us. Amen? Guys, that's our hope. That, that, that's what we look forward to. That's where we can say, oh, we have a reason to live today. That's our hope that, that a lot of this stuff we're going through, it's going to be done. It's going to be over. We're going to be with Ken. I'm so jealous. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with my Lord. You know, last, uh, the other week um, when we went, into the Segoro prison, you know, for the outreach with Pastor Roy guys and stuff. And I remember um, on, on the Friday <coughs> before we flew out, we got to go in and uh, teach them how to uh, do soap, you know, scripture observation, application prayer, the, the acronym for that, to how to study the Bible and journal, basically. And I remember <coughs> talking to different guys, and one of the guys, he, he, he said, I'm not going to do it today. I go, well, that's okay, you know. I, and he was in the, the faith pod, too. And, but he was telling me, he goes, tell me this. I, he, first he said, I'm so angry with God. He said, uh, tell me this. I, I, he went out, you know, for parole, but he was denied. He said, I've been here 18 years. Why would God do this? Why? And I said, I don't know. I can't tell you why. But I can tell you God has some plan. God has some purpose for you in there. And then he was okay. He goes, you know what? I'll be okay tomorrow. I'm just feeling this emotion. I go, that's okay. You tell the Lord. You're angry, you know. That, but, you know, I could hear in his heart that he wanted to get out. Yeah. He didn't want to stay in there. He, he, he did his 18 years. He said he was, it, was a, it wasn't a, a huge crime or something, but I want to get out. And, and you could tell he, he wanted to go on in his life. He wanted to be, be free 
you know, from the prison. He wanted to live uh, that life. And let me tell you, there was other guys who were comfortable in prison, who were like, hey, I'm okay with this. Marched around in freedom, you know, told when to eat, told when to take showers, let in and out. And those, those guys, you know, they're, they're comfortable. They had this settled attitude, yeah, I'm, I'm all right, I'm okay with this, right? I bring this up because I want to ask you, do you have that settled attitude? Settling for less. Ah, no hope for future changes. Maybe you lost your hope and you gave up and you're like, ah, whatever. Let me tell you, there's more to this than this messed up world, this hard life. The resurrected Jesus is coming soon, you guys. And because he's alive, we're going to be soon living a new life with him. And that's our hope, you guys. That's our reason. That's our purpose to live. What makes sense is Jesus is alive. So believers live with the hope of the resurrected life coming in the future. We have this hope set inside of us. Do you have that? Are, are you distracted by the world? Or are you lost in the, the messiness of things of this world and things going on? I'll tell you, if you keep staying in there, you're going to lose hope. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to lose all energy and effort. And, oh, why try? But if you know Jesus is coming soon, oh, that's going to be your energy. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begun us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in him for you. That's our hope, you guys. We're going to be home soon. We're going to be in heaven soon. We're going we're gonna to see our loved ones. We're going to see Ken. We're going to say, hey, Ken, why'd you leave me? So good to see you. That's our hope, you guys. We have a reason to live. We have a reason to keep going on. We have a reason to hold our ground in our faith and truth in God and to live for God. Because one day we're going to be with Jesus. We're, we are already citizens of heaven, yeah? And we're going to really be there one day. Jesus is alive. Back in the dark days of World War II, a pastor, a Schutes, was at a youth rally in Germany pushing, uh, they were pushing Hitler's propaganda. The speaker began to speak against the Jews in the middle of a rousing speech. The speaker spotted this pastor, and he picked him out, knowing who he was, and he said, Pastor Schutes, you are a fool for believing in a crucified and dead Jew, referring to Jesus. Pastor Schutes jumped to his feet and boldly proclaimed to the ears of everybody who was there, Yes, sir, I should indeed be a fool if I believed in a crucified dead Jew, but I believe in the risen living Son of God. Do you believe that? If you do, then you know you have a future. You know your destiny. You know what's set for you and what's coming. For those who have faith in Jesus and know the truth, it is the future. It is the hope. And we all wait in that expectation. Can't wait, you guys. Can't wait. All right, number three. You better go on here. Running behind. Number three in our outline, why dedication makes sense. Why dedication makes sense. We've seen what, what doesn't make sense, what does make sense, and why dedication makes sense. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, I've got to tell you, this is a strange thing to say. Paul, why would you put this verse in here? It's super strange. Well, most people believe that Paul is saying that uh, basically, um, well, let me put it this way. For 
some believe Paul is saying that you can be you can be baptized for the sake of your dead relatives. And this is where the Mormons believe that you can do that. Oh, baptize me for the sake of my dead relatives and maybe they can make it through. But we know that goes against Scripture. We know that you can't redeem others after they have died. No, what Paul is talking about is pagan practices at that time where they would be baptized for the dead to help them in that afterlife. So what Paul is saying, if pagans believe in the afterlife, where you can be baptized for them, why is it so hard for you to understand that there is life after death? Now, it's believed here there's also false teachers who are saying that there is no resurrection, and they really take on the, the Greek thinking into their doctrine. So Paul is saying, hey, it doesn't make sense. You guys don't believe in the resurrection, yet you're baptized for the dead. Isn't that inconsistent with your own doctrine. So it's like even pagan believers, they believe in the resurrection or life after death in that way. But not Paul and the apostles. For look at verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. See, if, if there were no re resurrection, then why would Paul put his life in jeopardy for the gospel? Paul placed his life on the line. Paul went the distance with this because he believed in the resurrection. Paul is saying, I can even boast in the fact, like the Corinthian believers have seen in his life, that he dies daily, that he puts his life on the line, that he faces death every day from persecution. Paul went the distance. He, he was dedicated. Yeah. He, he dedicated his life to share the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. Then verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So Paul adds he's even fought with these beasts in, at Ephesus. I think he speaks of the violent attacks when he preached the gospel there in the city of Ephesus and, and about the risen Savior. And so he's saying, what, is, what advantage is that for me? to preach the resurrection, to preach the gospel. I mean, how does that add value to my life? I mean, why should I keep doing this if the dead do not really rise? Why do I keep being dedicated to the gospel and putting myself out there and almost dying and all that persecution? He's saying, you know what? I might as well, Isaiah 22, 13, if the dead do not rise, I might as well, he quotes Isaiah 22, 13, eat, let us eat, and drink, for tomorrow we die. If this life is all there is, let's get all we can now. Yeah, Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? It's like that bumper sticker, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, Get it all we can today. But then Paul says, watch out, you guys. Watch out. Verse 33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled by the world and the thinking and the philosophies there, the way they see things. The Corinthian believers, they were being influenced for, and Paul actually quotes the secular comedy play that everyone knew back then. And so he's relating to them. He's kind of coming to right where they're at and he says, evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company or evil associations corrupts good habits. Habits means morals. So don't be influenced by the thinking of the world because bad company and bad associations will corrupt your good morals. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the company of fools will be destroyed. What a great verse, isn't it? Who do you surround yourself with? Who do you hang out with? It's been said you can tell what a person is like by the company he keeps. So then verse 34, our last verse. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So he closes this middle section here in, in chapter 15 with a call for everyone to awake to righteousness. The NIV puts it, come to your senses. C come to your senses. Do not sin. By rejecting the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, the truth that will be resurrected, the truth of the future we have and live in sin, 
But Paul says, some are like that. They don't even know God. They don't have the knowledge of God, and that is shameful. So come to your senses about the resurrection. Do not be influenced by unbelieving people. Don't be influenced. Don't surround yourself in that way. So the last point here this morning is this. Why does an unwavering dedication to the gospel and the resurrection make sense? Why dedication makes sense? Because this life is not all there is. Because this life is not all there is. got to be dedicated to the truth of who we are, that we are believers, we're Christians, and we're citizens of heaven. And this isn't all that there is. We cannot be influenced by those things that, that whirl around us and philosophies and thoughts. Because if we do, we lose all hope. C.S. Lewis gave this definition of hope, a continuing looking forward to the eternal world. So no matter what suffering, no matter what persecution, no matter what we go to, we have this dedication that makes sense. And why do we have this dedication to the gospel, to the truth, to Jesus? Because this life is not all there is. And this is what Paul is saying. Keep your eye on eternity. Don't be influenced. Don't, don't surround yourself with people who have different thoughts and things that can lead you to sin. Because that's not what this life is about. To live a sinful life, to give into your flesh. Is that your dedication to Jesus, to the gospel? Or, 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 or are you moved? Yeah? Are you easily influenced, gullible to the world? You know, I was thinking about this when <coughs> we were on the trip to Arizona and I went into the hotel room. I, I looked at the thermometer to see what temperature it was, right? The, the, the thermometer registers, right, what uh, it, it, the temperature is in that room. And then I take the, 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 the move, adjust the thermostat, right? Uh, or I go to the thermostat, see the thermometer, and then adjust the thermostat to set to the temperature that I like it to be. Well, think about that. Some people are like thermometers, conforming to the surroundings. But others are thermostats that change the atmosphere around them. That's what Paul is saying. Come to your senses, you guys. Why does dedication make sense to the gospel? Why he, he endures the persecution and the suffering? Why unwavering dedication Makes sense because this life is not all there is and that he's going to live that life and he's going to influence others. Are you allowing evil influences into your life? You know, it's pulling you away from the hope that we have in the future. And that's what's going to keep us going. Thomas Brooks said, a man full of hope will be full of action. Perhaps... You're not serving the Lord like you should be because your eyes are in the wrong place. You're thinking, well, this is all we have here, so I'm going to live my life. Eat, drink, marry, and tomorrow we die. Yeah? Perhaps you're not like doing all you can for the Lord. You're not motivated because you don't have your eye on eternity that this is all going to end, and we got to share with those who don't have Jesus, who are lost. we got to reach out to them because time is going to end soon. Where are you today? Perhaps you're lost in the craziness of this world, the persecution, the suffering, the pain, that sin and consequences and people around you bring in. Perhaps you're lost and lost, lost in that and you lost hope. Put your eyes upon what's coming. Yeah? Put your eyes that this, on that this life is not all that there is. I'll close with this. A little over a year ago, a man named Eugene Lane passed away at the age of 98. Now, he was, he got in, um, there was an article about him because he was remembered for helping many kids go to college. And it all started back in 1981 when he was asked to speak at a sixth grade graduation uh, ceremonies in East Harlem. He was, he, he was a very wealthy guy and they wanted him to come and share and motivate the kids. Well, here was this wealthy white man standing before 59 predominantly poor black and uh, Puerto uh, Rican kids. 
he didn't he, he looked at his notes like I don't know what I'm gonna say. So he just threw them aside and you know what he told them? He basically told them, Stay in school and if you graduate I'll help pay the college tuition of every one of you. He promised that to all the kids. Well, at that moment, what he said, the lives of those students changed. One student said, I now had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. And then about 90% of those kids who heard that speech went on to graduate from high school and go to college. Love that. That's it, you guys. As believers, the resurrection of Jesus, we have something to look forward to. We have someone waiting for us. We have a reason to live and to persevere and to keep going. Listen, I know life here can be difficult and hard, but God has a purpose and plan in it all. Don't get caught up in what the world is saying and thinking and, and, and miss out on, in that. Keep your eyes on eternity and find hope, the hope in the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, God, and we thank you for the hope we have. We thank you for encouraging us, God, and, and we just want to bow down to you and forgive us, Lord, of our sins and forgive us for, for being distracted, Lord. Forgive us for taking our eyes off eternity and our future and our destiny, Lord, and becoming, Lord, so weak and, and, and not doing those things that you want us to do. But, Lord, we know that if you ro rose again from the dead, then we will. And we know that there is a future for us, Lord, and that there is a wonderful life to come. And this isn't it, Lord. This isn't just it. This isn't all we have until we put it into here and then we live this life and die and we're gone. No, Lord, we want to put into this life the things of your kingdom because we know there's more to come and the best is yet to come. So, God, as we bow before you, we thank you, God, for the, for the opportunity you've given us to live, God. And may, Lord, this life we have count. May it be something, Lord, worth to you and that honors and glorifies you. Lord, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of living for my, my own gain, Lord. Lord, I want to I wanna lay up treasures in heaven, Lord, not here on this earth. So, God, help us all today, Lord, to keep in mind, Lord, what is to come and to find hope not a hope that we wish will happen but a hope that we know will happen because your word tells us so so holy spirit come as we walk out of here later remind us of these things may we motivated may be may we be fueled with the fire and a passion to live for you and nothing else because of the hope that is in it the hope of the resurrection in Jesus' name, amen.